All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Faultline Podcast, and accompanying edition number 904, I'm Alex Davis. The host joining me, as usual, is our esteemed editor, Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And my esteemed colleague, Rafi Cohen. Hello. And, uh, yeah, been a busy week, Tommy, but a, but a good one, I think, from the coverage, right? A nice broad spread. Well, man, that was a slow week, <laughs> <laughs> news-wise. Um, yeah, thanks to anyone who's uh, who's listening to this, because, yes, most of the industry is still on holiday. Um, and uh, you may have heard uh, uh, that Microsoft has acquired a company called Peer5 um, a couple of weeks ago, which is all about integrating its peer-to-peer decentralized mesh-based technology to support video at scale for the Microsoft Teams platform, which we're using right now. I'm sure um, most people are familiar with this by now, but um, Microsoft Teams uses a lot of different delivery methods using a lot of different suppliers, including at least three or four P2P companies that we can name. So there was a kind kind of an assumption that this deal as with most acquisitions, there would be it would be bad news for the likes of um, Ramp and Strivecast, to uh, to name a couple. But um, apparently, this isn't really the case. Not that simple, because um, uh, supposedly Microsoft has started something quite big, and the next six months could be pretty interesting in the sector. Or so I was told this week uh, by speaking to the co-CEO of Ramp, uh, Neil Stanton. And the interesting thing about this is that people in the, in this industry, in the P2P industry, have been telling us for years that this technology is on the cusp of something great and amazing. And then interest just tails off until the next year's hype bu- bubble appears again. And so I was naturally very wary about him um, saying um, that, that something big is happening and, and not taking his word as gospel. And um, so... I should point out that this this is very different to what we've seen in the media and entertainment world with the likes of Streamroot at Lumen and Tel2 at Liberty Global and even Akamai's Octoshape because this is geared towards the enterprise CDN, eCDN sector, which when you think about what Microsoft Teams does is all about conferencing at scale and distributing video internally within a company behind a firewall most of the time and doing it around the world in, in real time. But while Peer 5 pretty much does pure web RTC based P2P delivery ramp uh, claims to be the only vendor that offers multicast and caching delivery methods as well as P2P and customers can mix mix and match these three technologies which are very different at their cores and this is great because no delivery method is perfect we know P2P has flaws because most systems have a traditional CDN installed as a fallback option anyway and the big security concerns with P2P2, but that's a different story. So naturally, the big question, as soon as we got on the phone with um, with Neil of Ramp, is why didn't Microsoft just acquire Ramp instead of Peer5, and then it wouldn't have to bother with integrating various P2P caching and multicast options? Um, and why he didn't he didn't want to kind of slander anyone because the ECDN space is quite a tight knit community, we're told, and he used that dreaded word uh, frenemies that we 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 steer clear of he did say that peer five was acquired for its simplicity um and then he kind of dodged the question by saying well ramp could be next in the MA crosshairs and as there's been a lot of interest since the the microsoft deal so so that was kind of the 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 big tease that he gave us that he kind of thinks that ramp could be next but again if we had a dollar for every company that told us that they might be acquired soon and then they never got acquired then we'd be rolling in, in a fair bit of cash but he did suggest that a rival to Microsoft Teams could 
be kind of smart in in the way it plays its M and A cards, and it could acquire ramp and then remove it from teams altogether, which could obviously be a big blow initially for Microsoft. But then I think it's probably big and powerful enough that it could probably arrange or build some alternative pretty rapidly. So that was kind of his almost like a pitch to potential acquirers. Um, but that said, Ramp's multicast um, product line does include some patents, which we are told are very effective. And because of this patented technology, it's apparently very hard for anyone to jump into this space and um, by, by themselves without really um, acquiring anything. So yeah, that's the only, apparently the only way really to, to get in is just buy your way in, which is why Microsoft has done, done it that way. Um, I thought something uh, really interesting looking at the three um, pronged products of, uh, of of Ramp is that most it has most customers. Um, Microsoft is the, the biggest, but there are a few more on the on the multicast option. Although the caching product makes the most money, uh, while its P2P um, business is the fastest growing area of the three. So there's there's pros of the three altogether. And we go into a lot more technical detail in the full interview on on the three different technologies and and how they work. So yeah, check that out. Nice. All right, good stuff. Um I dread to think how much money is going to be uh shot up the wall, so to speak, um if if that that does kick off. Because <laughs> for every for every bit of beer money we'd get for uh companies that didn't sell, I'm sure we'd get a decent chunk if we were betting on a companies that blew it once they did get bought Uh, (laughs) uh, right sweet thank you very much tommy we'll uh, jump in now to the next one and this one is uh from raffi of course and this is mbcu snubs nielsen casting measurement net wide will others follow raffi could you tell us more please yeah so it hasn't been a good year for nielsen as we've covered many times before but just a (laughs) just a a brief recap (laughs) Um, in April, uh, there was quite a lot of heated discourse between the Video Advertising Bureau and Nielsen. Um, the VAB was accusing them of underreporting TV viewership, and this was just before the upfront, so it couldn't have been worse timing for all the major uh, TV networks in the US. Um, it was found that they were underreporting by as much as 16% on some networks. Um, and then Nielsen initially said, no, we didn't. And then they eventually admitted that they basically stopped checking in on all the panel homes because of COVID, which meant that if something went down, it was just down for who knows, a year maybe. Uh, and this could have been up to 10,000 homes, which in the Nielsen panel was quite a sizable amount. Um, and then the Media Ratings Council also confirmed this by the time the new fronts rolled around. Um, they found that underreporting that the Nielsen had underreported TV usage by as much as two or between two and six percent, um, and total TV between adults and total TV audiences was between one and five percent underreporting. Um, and then since then, everyone's been very annoyed. But no, I mean, I guess Faultline and many others have probably thought nothing's really going to happen because nothing ever has. Uh, people have been very unsatisfied with Nielsen for ages and everyone has always just thought that it's just too large, too omnipresent, too heavy to ever get rid of um, and far too old to tame. So everyone's just going to be for perpetually unsatisfied but not do anything about it. But it seems like the tide might be turning, which is which is a really positive sign. Um, and this comes from NBC Universal, who um, recently launched a blog post. I think it was about a couple of weeks ago. Um, and in this said, in the blog post, NBCU said that they are amid the process of assembling a full suite of interoperable measurement solutions that is advanced, diverse, easy to use and multi-platform as the ways people watch content, i.e. definitely not Nielsen. Um, 
And what although, you know, they haven't they haven't gone in for Nielsen and directly named them. Um previously MBCU were using them as their only measurement vendor. Um and we know through our coverage of what they've been doing with Seafly, which I'll come on to later, that they're definitely looking at a much more kind of interoperable, uh, multi-platform, multi-vendor approach. Um so if they are kind of getting rid of Nielsen, who who are they getting to replace them? And it's definitely going to be a multi-vendor landscape. Um MBCU have sent RFPs out to over 50 vendors, um, which could be a measurement and attribution can of worms. Um, maybe they haven't learned anything from the big headache that is ad tech, but I, it's hard to say how many people are going to be involved. Um, but TV Squared have already come forward and said that they're excited to get involved. Um, and we imagine Comscore is jumping at the chance to uh, usurp Nielsen, who when I spoke to Comscore a month or two ago, they wouldn't even say Nielsen's name. They insisted on calling them the other company. Um, and then who else might get involved are some glass level kind of attribution firms that really measure exactly what's going on on the screen like Ferenc and Samba TV um, are probably quite likely partners and then also data sharing platforms you've got people like Iris TV and Blockgraph um, they're also going to be very important in ensuring that this um, measurement data is shared between uh, players in a secure and kind of uh, consistent fashion um, and so yeah MBCU has come out and said we don't really want to work with Nielsen anymore. And this comes directly after Nielsen essentially, well, I said it was piling egg onto its own face just a couple of weeks ago. And this is because it asked the Media Rating Council to suspend its accreditation before there was a vote due to take place on whether it should still be accredited. So it essentially jumped before it was pushed. Um, this comes after all the underreporting fiasco that I was talking about at the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, Nielsen have now basically de-accredited itself. Um, now NBCU doesn't want to work with it. And this is especially bitter because although Faultline doesn't usually comment on personnel, um, it seems like this initiative has been led by someone who I also, by coincidence, happened to speak to a couple of weeks back, which is Kelly Abkarian, who's NBCU's uh, Executive Vice President of Measurement and Impact. But um, Abkarian previously served as the general manager of Nielsen's advanced video advertising group, I think only a year ago. So um, she's essentially jumped ship from Nielsen to MBCU and then cut all ties. Um, and looking back at the interview I had with Kelly a few weeks ago, it was kind of, I know, maybe should have seen the signs because they were saying that um, MBCU is looking for a much more cross-platform platform ad measurement protocol, which is C-Flight. And we did kind of ask ask whether or not this would be possible to roll out in the US because no one really agrees with Nielsen and um, Kelly definitely hold, held her tongue on that she wasn't really willing to come out swinging against the various problems they've experienced with Nielsen but she did say that the door has swung open for a new era of interoperability um, and that many of the top media companies are now receiving cross-platform measurement. Um, so yeah and just a final quote from the VAB's chief executive which I found very entertaining was after months of Nielsen's very public insistence that there was nothing wrong with its ratings data it has essentially announced you can't fire me I quit. What cannot be evaded or dodged is the level of all industry intervention coming to Nielsen with a mandate of change or die transparency needed going forward with any real credibility. Well, it, it, we were talking about beer money earlier. Um, I'm sure there must be a, an unofficial fault line podcast drinking game for Dunk on Nielsen to take a shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so it's not it's not going well for Nielsen. And, and I guess we'll revel in a bit of Schadenfreude. Um, but no, thank you very much, Rafi.
Um, we'll jump on now to to my long form piece, which was utility broadband has slow start despite 41 million potential leads. Um, and and this week I was trying to explore um, the size of the potential sort of utility broadband market. And the reason was um, we we spotted something from Chattanooga. Uh, which was the sort of city um, flagship use case for setting up a, you know, a municipal or publicly owned uh, fiber network, um, and then using that to turn the local economy around. And, and Chattanooga, back in kind of 2014, was when we sort of first covered it in depth. Um, the municipally owned uh, utility, the electric utility EPB, um, was essentially laying um, fiber, and then it wanted to be able to serve other areas of of the region, and it had to sort of sue the FCC to do so. And there's a big palaver, um, and we thought we would sort of check in and, and see what lessons have kind of been learned. And and um, there, there's not all that much data really. There was a, a sort of study from the University of Tennessee that said that they'd made somewhere between 2,800 and 5,200 jobs and provided a billion dollars in, in economic benefit just from having this network, um, which is pretty damning if it's accurate, um, but that's quite a swing in, in total jobs numbers. Um, but it would it would suggest then that the, you know, the incumbent ISPs, which were AT&T and Comcast, they, they were holding, you know, Chattanooga back from from this kind of value. Um, so that, that kicked off a kind of um, an exploratory uh, bit of data collection. We were looking at how many um, possible customers there are. Uh, and as the headline suggests, it's about 41 million. And that number in North America, that number comes from the amount of customers that are held by rural and municipally owned, publicly owned um, utilities. And the reason that you focus on those is they're more likely to have the support, have the business leanings to pursue a sort of fixed line fiber network. And the investor owned utilities, which are much larger, um, but obviously answer to uh, shareholders, they're going to be much less enthusiastic. And and overall, the utilities are already installing some fairly advanced uh, networks, which blend uh, fixed line fiber and uh, private LG, uh, LTE, but then some of them are already exploring 5G. And, and the reason they need to in electricity uh, is so that you can do two-way control for renewable assets on the grid. Um, so if they're already building these networks to control you know, renewable energy and energy storage, that kind of thing, then being able to reach each customer home with a fiber connection is like a fairly uh, obvious and easy and at this point kind of well understood um, metric. But um, as I said, we were trying to count how many um, utility broadband customers there are and there's no real number. Um, that's publicly available. So you can kind of guess at the scale of it. But if you track it um, through the sort of 2018 to 2026, the number of utility broadband like leads um, essentially catches up with the decline in, in pay TV households. So those two figures are both standing at around 45 million um, by that point and give it a couple of years and it would pass. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a big old um, opportunity there for the sort of utilities to pursue in North America going to be similar in other regions uh, globally and it's something i think that the fixed line operators need to be uh, aware of uh, especially if they're considering fiber build outs it might be the case that you want to partner um, with a utility uh, instead of trying to compete with them because uh, you know they, they can a lot of them have pursued wholesale models so you, you might find yourself like a dark fiber uh, you know backhaul infrastructure provider instead of a head-to-head -head, um, uh, retail competitor uh, that might be a bit easier uh, a pill to swallow um, so yeah, there's a bit more sort of number in there, 
few few names that are notable um and uh yeah we'll we'll leave the long form there we'll move on of course to worth noting and as is tradition uh rafi five years ago this week what was happening uh we had some news from canada as two of the country's operators rogers and shaw uh in a final act of desperation had recruited uk software house think analytics to power the recommendation uh, engine for their jointly owned export service shomi um and despite Rogers and Shaw's ambitions, uh, Xiaomi was really struggling to present a serious challenge to the dominance of Netflix in Canada. It launched in 2014, um, but Netflix had uh, launched its first international outpost in Canada in 2010. And at the time of writing in 2016, uh, Xiaomi only had 250,000 subscribers compared to Netflix's 5.2 million. Um, and Rogers and Shaw were banking on Think Analytics lifting Xiaomi's UX to new heights, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Xiaomi folded in November 2016, just three months later after that segment was written, I think. Nice. And another confusing name there. Xiaomi, 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 Xiaomi. <laughs> it's French-Canadian, maybe. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me anything else in the worth noting. Well, um, smart there are many smart things about smart tvs right but did you know that one of the cool smart features of smart tvs is they have a remote kill switch and uh it's not something i was aware of or really heard about and this is what samsung has had to resort to uh, recently following the looting of a warehouse in south africa which uh, the register covered where a load of smart tvs were robbed and the uh, the electronics electronics giant has just shrugged kind of shrugged off and, and triggered its tv block app which is installed as standard and so once a smart tv is connected to the internet it's this app pings the samsung servers and and uh, it does this cross-referencing against serial numbers and missing hardware and and any matches then your your tv functions just go kaput so yeah don't bother stealing smart tvs I can't wait until somebody decides to bundle that feature in with, you know, finance. So you'll be you'll be firing your TV up, and uh, your direct debit will have failed, and you'll get locked out of Netflix. TV will break itself. Ooh, savage. <laughs> so it sounds sounds quite plausible. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, right. And then the sort of final piece. Um, we've been paying attention to box office revenues and. Uh, Hollywood has been looking at China previously as an expansion market. Uh, it's you know a way to um, boost their uh, global revenue by making films that they can kind of easily alter to suit Chinese censors. Um, but it appears in China's um, internal um, box office revenues that they favor Chinese titles, which isn't really surprising. Um, but the Hollywood performance um, is uh, it's a paltry $700 million dollars. Uh, compared to $3.9 billion for Chinese titles in the first half of 2021. Um, And you can't blame that all on reduced Hollywood output. So, yeah, uh, not great news for the Hollywood studios. Um, And, yeah, a bit more of a a wall garden, I guess, in in China. Um, Sweet. All right. Thank you very much, gents. That was Faultline 904. And, of course, 905, Tommy, do you have anything lined up? Well, after the August bank holiday weekend, we just kind of put our feet up really and 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 chill no just kidding we've um we've got some cool um things lined up next week so a few weeks back we were the first to cover the impending launch of the cdn alliance you you may remember that one um and because of that coverage we've landed an exclusive first look interview with the founders which we're in next week to hopefully coincide with the official launch of this 
new non-profit industry group which are trying to do some cool things and we've also got a call lined up with our friends and sometimes foes um vaccess orca picking up on the kind of the forensic watermarking narrative after the uh the acquisition of content armor by cinemedia which is uh where we're trying to talk to a lot of people in the industry and kind of uh, get to the bottom of what the implications of that are excellent all right that's a that should be a good one i think the cdn alliance oh that'll do mm. uh Excellent. All right. Thank you very much, uh, guys. Head to our website, please. Uh, RethinkResearch.biz. You can check out Faultline four-week free trial. You can have a look at the Rethink TV exec summaries. Uh, please leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice. And of course, we're here if you want to drop us some tips and hints and things. Uh, so you can can reach out to us and uh, yeah, tell us some juicy costs, please. So um, that's it for me. So thanks very much, guys. Yeah. Cheers all. See ya.